This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to the show. We have been working our way through Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. We have been minus Vinny Henke, our regular host, but we have had Matt Masevich yep. here from Sovereign Grace Fellowship. I'm trying not Good to job, offend Russ. him today. Good job, uh, I, Good name. Good job. I took him to damaging to the relationship yesterday, so... <laughs> Don't need to go back and listen to that one for that. It's good we're talking about conflict resolution. Yes, yes, that's good. That's good. Um, We have been working through the third G of Ken Sandy's four Gs, and we're not talking about a 4G network here. We're talking about (laughs) principles that he has for peacemaking. First is glorify God, then get the log out of your own eye. And then the third has been gently restored, and we've been dealing with these principles of restorations. And at the end of the chapter, he really does this little summary where he says there are four possible courses to follow when you're involved in some sort of conflict moment. And the first is simply overlook the offense. Yesterday, we looked at four things that might cause us not to overlook offense. Is it dishonoring to God? Is it damaging your relationship with them? Is it hurting others? Is it hurting the offender? Um, so if you missed that, you can go back and listen. And then the second is build on the other's superficial confession. Do you guys want to just flesh that out a little bit? What does he mean by that? Well, sometimes you you don't get a full confession. Sometimes you get a confession that will have but maybe perhaps added to it. So the person is, you know, they've admitted something, but then they're ta- they're taking it back. It's almost like they've gone forward a step and then they're backward a step. And so, you know, fleshing that out to help somebody, what you're trying to do is you're in all this is you're trying to affirm the relationship that you do have, the fact that it's been um, broken or damaged, and then you're trying to understand their interest. And so trying to understand how they've come to their conclusion. And so uh, you're trying to work out so that you actually are reconciled so that people are owning their part of whatever difficulties that you might have. And so th- Yeah. That's just so important because one of the things that we see in counseling situations as pastors is when someone confronts someone about a, a way that they've been sinned against, oftentimes the response is well, I'm sorry that I upset you. I'm sorry that I hurt you. But what needs to be built upon is you need to get them to a place of, I'm sorry that I have <laughs> sinned against you. Mm-hmm. You know, just saying, I'm sorry that I hurt you is, is almost a way of dismissing it, mm-hmm. you know, because it's putting it's it back fault. on them. Yeah, yeah, it's your fault. You you're offended. Your fault. I'm sorry you're upset by it. The third one is that you may need to talk about the other person's sin now. So there are moments when. There is an immediacy. So the other day we were saying that there there might be reasons to not have a direct 
confrontation or a face-to-face right away, that there might be a need to be a delay. But there are other times when you need to talk to the other person and address the sin right away. What are some of those examples? Well, I think, you know, obviously if someone is caught in a sin, you know, you're, you're going to address it right then, you know, whether – and there is a host of sins. There are sins that easily beset individuals, and they may all be different, you know. You know, if you if you witness violence, if you abuse, if you've you know, if somebody's stealing, or if there's adultery or pornography or something, there are some gross sins that you know make that that the world even picks up on. You know, we need to deal with those things right away. You know, even slanderous acts. You know, so I mean, there is a there is a sense in which you can't let it. Fester, think you know. We talked about this at the beginning of the week here. You know, this is like the second law of thermodynamics. If you just leave things alone, they don't get better; they no. get worse. Yeah. You know that when somebody's in in sin, it is a downward spiral because sin will take you further than you want to go. It holds you down longer than you can afford to stay, and it's going to cost a great deal in your relationship in your life. So, you know, sin itself needs to be de- dealt with. In, a, in an immediate way. And then there are moments, the fourth, that you might want to postpone confrontation till another time. And if I can just to highlight the difference between three and four, um, there, when I used to be a teacher, there were times when you needed to address behavior right away, that it was a safety concern within the classroom and, and you needed immediate direct intervention. And there were other times when I remember my my students doing engaging in behavior that was inappropriate that um, so frustrated me made me so angry that I would say to them I am going to go and get a drink from the drinking fountain and it's in your best interest that I do so and I'm so frustrated that I'm going to go quite a ways before I find the drinking fountain I'm going to drink from before I come back because we're going to have a heart to heart and I need to cool down a little bit mm-hmm. yeah we actually so, see that in marriages a lot too Especially when you have a dynamic between, say, for an example, you have a wife that wants to reconcile and get through the issues quickly, and then you have a husband that wants to stew and brew, you know, for a long time. Sometimes it's hard to find the place where they can actually reconcile in a good way when one wants to do it right now and one wants to wait two weeks. You know, it's like, no, we really need to find a way to, to wait, yes, for a time but yet not to put it off and let it build. It does have to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So we've been giving some principles for restoration. Um, now it might be helpful just to step back and say there are some situations that come up that you might have to use some special consideration when navigating. And he goes into four of those. And the first is going to non-Christians. Um, why does that create a special moment or situation um, with regard to restoration? Well, if they're non uh, being non-Christians, there's you know between Christians we have God's word and its guidance and wisdom to direct us, and you know uh, going to non-Christians, you know what God calls us in, you know they're not they may not agree, <laughs> and uh, so it just adds another dynamic to the restorative process. And your language might change slightly, right? Because right. you're dealing with somebody that doesn't have a biblical framework in which they're dealing with. So if I'm I'm in an issue with a believer, I, I'm using biblical language, biblical principles. We're talking about God's word as it applies to the situation we're in. 
you can still use the biblical principles when you're working with a non-believer. Mm-hmm. But the the verse you you don't probably need to quote them a verse because the verse doesn't have any authority for them. Um, right. They, they don't acknowledge that. So you can use the principle of the verse without actually quoting the verse or going to the yeah, passage. Yeah, and, and in general, we're commanded in Scripture as much as is possible, live at peace with all men. So there's a, you know, you, as you say, you're not going to go over there with chapter and verse. In fact, you know, you might, as soon as you do that, I can remember telling somebody, this is too little to be worried about right now. And, and the gentleman said, don't preach at me. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to resolve an issue, and he's thinking, you know, well, he knows I'm a minister, so obviously I'm preaching at him. Uh, so I think that uh, you know it means that we have to be extremely careful in our communication when we're dealing with a non-believer. Yeah, it's also a place though where we can show. Um, as Christians, how we enter into conflict, where we can say to someone that you've sinned against me, of course, even using language of sin, you, you're now you're into a, a Christian worldview. But it is a way that say that you can say, you know, and, and I've sinned against you, and here's how. And you could be seeking reconciliation that actually might even be drawing them into your worldview, which could be a good gospel witness to them as well. Mm-hmm. The second special consideration is going to a person in authority. How does that change any or some of the dynamics? Well, if you're in a workplace, uh, you know, and you're a, c- a co-laborer with them, they may not res- they may not respect you enough to listen to you. But if you perhaps there's a manager or uh, someone who's a director there that uh, you're communicating through, you know. There may be something inappropriate to the workplace that this person is doing, and that person can address them better than yourself. And part of it is when you're going to somebody in authority, you have to do so with a deference that you might not have in, in other situations. So we have clear instructions in in First Peter and in in Romans, Romans 13, about submitting to and submitting or showing respect to those that are in authority and so your demeanor might change as you're dealing with somebody that's in authority over you and when you're dealing with uh, authority figures in the church you know, there's the admonition from paul in first timothy five nineteen: do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses now that doesn't mean that you don't challenge your leaders it's showing us the respect that the office holds and when you're going just to make sure that this is something that needs to be addressed. The third category we've talked about, but it's worth mentioning again, is just dealing with abuse. And maybe let's just talk through some of the things that we've said before on this. How does this help change those moments? Well, I think you know one of those that we just talked about earlier in the episode would be something that needs to be addressed now. You know, it's when there is comes the light that there is abuse in the home i think there are steps that need to be taken to ensure the safety of those who are mm-hmm. victims and uh it's something that should never be swept under it should be exposed and dealt with carefully but decisively there has been so much damage done to christian congregations where abuse was hidden swept under a rug not reported some abuse situations 
our our actual crimes mm. and and to just say well go and be reconciled to your brother who's committed a crime against you it's really hard to get to a place of restoration and reconciliation when there's no accountability for a crime that was committed you know in the state of idaho we are a reporting state if if there was like sexual abuse that took place in one of our congregations mm-hmm. we must make sure that that is is reported but what you would not want to do is take a woman, for example, or a child who's been abused and say, I want you to go privately and reconcile with right. your abuser. Mm-hmm. That would be insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's there can be some level of you know reconciliation, but we also need to realize there are some sins mm-hmm. that there are consequences that in this life you have to deal with. I was just this time last week visiting our, our chaplain in Fresno who's at various prisons that he ministers in and you know it's the first time i've ever stepped foot into a prison and i was surprised how encouraging it was talking with these men some who have done some very serious things and have no hope of getting out but yet there is a repentance exhibited in their life but yet they are submitting to and dealing with the consequences of their actions and um i think uh that's important to remember in dealing with abuse that there are consequences. So in the last 30 seconds here, we've, we've got the last one, a special circumstance of going tentatively and repeatedly. What's the quick takeaway on this? I think the quick, <laughs> I think the quick takeaway is, is exactly what it says. Go tentatively and repeatedly, you know, and it with might humility. not be resolved right away. Right. Um, we used to have a saying when I was a teacher, water on rock, water always wins. Um, So it might take some time. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.